Many of you may be familiar with the idea of the five love languages. It comes out of a book by a man named Gary Chapman, who's a pastor and marriage counselor. And these five love languages, let's see if I can do these, uh, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gift giving, and acts of service are sort of categories or ways to talk about how people, different people give and receive love differently. It's a very useful idea to kind of help think through that someone that you love may not receive love the way that you do. But how about this question? What's God's love language? We can go through and figure out how we as individuals best receive love, but what about God? What is God's love language? If you and I wanted to express love to God in a way that God most wanted to receive it, what would be his love language that we would use to express our love to him? Well, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans could rightly be described as God's love being expressed to us. Even though we are sinners, even though we have done things to displease God, God chose to demonstrate his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die for us, by giving us his spirit to come and dwell with us, by giving us justification and redemption, a demonstration of God's love for us, by walking us safely through suffering, by giving us an eternal hope of glory with him. And the first 11 chapters has described our relationship with God from God's perspective, and it has been about how God loves us, and there is nothing that anyone can ever do to be separated from the love that God has for us. Romans 12 is responding to these 11 chapters of God's love, and Paul says, in view of God's mercies, in view of how God has loved us, how can you and I love God in return? And Paul says, we are to offer him our bodies as living sacrifices. What is God's love language? It's sacrifice. That we show God love by offering him ourselves as living sacrifices. Now the question is, what does that mean? What does that mean to offer to God our bodies as living sacrifices? 
Well, in order to understand that phrase, living sacrifices, we need to understand that it is drawing on a large motif, tradition, theme throughout the Bible, the idea of sacrifice. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to examine that biblical idea of sacrifice so that we might have a better understanding of what it is that Paul means when he says, offer to God your bodies as a living sacrifice so that you and I might be able to demonstrate our love to God in the way that he most wants to receive it. So in order to do this, we're going to work through the idea of sacrifice, especially as it comes to us from the Old Testament. And we want to begin with, and you've got some notes that you can take notes, there'll also be some on the screen, the basic idea of sacrifice. If we were going to boil down the idea of sacrifice to just its essence or the basic idea, I think one of the ways that we can do this is we can look at a great story in the Old Testament from a man named King David. Now at the point of the story that we're thinking of, King David has been king of Israel for a long time. Now King David is a man after God's own heart, but that doesn't mean that he's without sin and without mistakes and problems. And one day, not David's best day, he decides that he is going to count the army. He wants to number the fighting men of Israel. Now, you and I may hear that and think, well, that seems pretty normal. That seems pretty straightforward to get a count of how many people are in the army. And the fact that we think it's so normal just shows how far our thinking is from where God's thinking is. You see, the problem with what David wants to do is he's putting his faith in the size of the army. The bigger the army, the better we are. That's a horrible affront to God. You see, if God is on your side, it doesn't matter how big your army is. If God is not on your side, it doesn't matter how big or small your army is. What matters is if God is for you, who can be against you? But David overrides all objections and decides he wants to know, but how many men do I have in my army? How strong am I? And so he has the men numbered. As a result of his sin, death comes upon the people of Israel. They receive the curse of sin, and a plague sweeps through the land of Israel. David sees what is happening and is cut to the heart, realizes that he has offended God by thinking that his power and his value comes from the size of his kingdom. And as his kingdom is being decimated, David cries out, now of course God, who is always rich in mercy, in the midst of this plague, says to David, we can stop this. 
And he allows David with his own eyes to see the angel of death who is bringing the plague throughout Israel. And the angel of death has stopped over a threshing floor. And David realizes he now has a chance to go and make a sacrifice or an offering to God to stop the plague. And so he goes to Aruna, who is a Jebusite, who owns the threshing floor. That's the piece of land where the angel has stopped. And he goes to Aruna and he says, I need to make a sacrifice here to stop the plague. And I need this land to do that. And Aruna says, well, you're the king, take it. Like, not only take the land, take the oxen and take this wood here, everything you need to make an offering. I mean, after all, Aruna is suffering from the plague as much as anybody else. Everybody in Israel wants this to stop. And so Aruna says to David, take whatever you need, I give it to you freely. And then David says this in response to Aruna's offer. King David replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. In this story is the essence of sacrifice or offering. And that is that it must be costly. It's not enough that the threshing floor and the oxen and the wood themselves are expensive. It's that David must give to God something that costs him, not just something that is costly in general. And what David understands, and this is why he's a man after God's own heart, is that even though he sinned, David wants to express his love and his sorry, uh, sorrow back to God, and he knows God's love language is sacrifice. And the greater the cost of the sacrifice, the greater the expression of love. And so David says, I'm not going to offer him something free. I want to pay the full price because I want to give to God something that costs me. And that is the essence of sacrifice. That is the central idea. Sacrifice means it's costly. The greater the cost, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the expression of love. Which, by the way, when you think about love languages between humans, that's how this works as well. My wife's love language is receiving gifts, but her real love language is the same as your love language, and it's that of sacrifice. I've given my wife gifts that have cost me very little in time or energy or effort. Those have not been a very good expression of love. I have also given my wife gifts that have cost me greatly in time or money, or effort. Those are a great expression of love. Everyone's love language is sacrifice. And the more the sacrifice, the greater the expression of love. And so the basic idea of sacrifice in the Bible 
is that it is costly. With that in mind, I want to now walk us through a sort of biblical framework for the idea of sacrifice, keeping in mind that the central idea is costliness. And I'd like you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, if you're using one of the Bibles you picked up on the way in, it's page 2. Pretty easy to find. Genesis chapter 3, very beginning of the Bible. We're going to look at two stories from very early on in the Old Testament to help us to have a framework to understand that there are two different kinds of sacrifice. Basic idea, sacrifice is costly. We're now in Genesis chapter 3, looking at the first instance of sacrifice in the Bible. Now, the story in Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve, despite all God's goodness and grace to them, have chosen to disobey God and to eat fruit that they were forbidden to eat. As a result, the penalty of sin is death, and God pronounces upon Adam and Eve and all of humanity the sentence of death because of sin. But even in the midst of that pronouncement, God makes a promise, a promise that redemption is coming, a promise that God will not leave us in the place of sin, but that he will come and rescue us. Now after God finishes announcing both the curse and the grace, the very first thing God does after speaking those words is in verse 21. Look at what it says. Genesis 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, although it's implicit, this is the first example of sacrifice in the Bible. There's no way to get garments of skin from animals without first killing them. And here, although God has the power to have simply created clothing for Adam and Eve out of nothing, I mean, after all, he just created the entire universe out of nothing. God does not choose to offer to Adam and Eve something that costs him nothing. Instead, God, who loves animals more than anybody and any one of us will ever be able to understand, takes two, at least two, of the beautiful animals in his creation and offers them as a sacrifice to be able to restore the relationship with Adam and Eve. And so the first example of sacrifice we have in the Bible, we come to understand that sacrifice is associated with sin. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, which broke their relationship with God. But remember, the essence of relationship, the love language is sacrifice, and so God demonstrates his love and restores the relationship by offering a sacrifice from his creation to restore the relationship with Adam and Eve. 
So in Genesis 3, we see the first kind of sacrifice, and that is sacrifice associated with sin. Look over now at Genesis 4, and we see the second story of sacrifice or offering in the Bible. Look in verse 3 of Genesis 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering, and when we use the word offering or sacrifice, those are synonymous terms, an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering or sacrifice, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, the first thing to notice about this story is that Cain and Abel are offering sacrifices to God, but it's not because or associated with sin. There's sin that's going to happen, but no sin has happened yet. Cain and Abel are simply enjoying the fact that God's creation allows them to have flocks and to have produce, and at some point there is an opportunity for Cain and Abel to be able to say thank you to God. And so we see that there is a second kind of sacrifice that's offered in the Bible, and that is a thanksgiving sacrifice. Cain and Abel have not wrecked their relationship with God. They're not offering a sacrifice because of sin. They're being grateful for what God has provided for them. Now, of course, the question is, why does Abel's sacrifice get accepted and Cain's not? Well, look closely at the text. Verse 3 Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Verse 4, Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. What's the difference between the two offerings? Cain gives something that costs him very little. He just simply takes some of the produce that he has and offers it to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, gives the fat portions, which are the very best portions for the sacrifice and the offering, and they come from the firstborn of his flock. These are the very best of the sheep that he's tending. The difference is not, well, Cain offered fruits and uh, Abel offered sheep. That's not the point. The point is Cain gives something that costs him very little, which is a very low-level expression of gratitude. Abel gives something that costs him much more, which is a greater expression of his love for God. That's why it says in verse, at second half of verse 4, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering. It has very little to do with the objective substance that's being offered. It has everything to do with the heart that's offering it. Abel understands God's love language. If you want to express love to God, give him something that costs you. And Abel gives a much more costly gift, 
And so God looks with favor not only on the gift, but on the giver. Gift and giver always go together. So what we learn in the book of Genesis in chapters 3 and 4 is that there are two basic kinds of sacrifice. The essence of sacrifice is that it must be costly. There are two basic kinds laid out for us in the very earliest pages of the Bible. Those associated with sin and those associated with gratitude or thanksgiving. Got that? Turn over now to the book of Leviticus. So you're going to turn just a couple of books later. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus... We have laid out for us in the Mosaic law the offerings and sacrifices that were required of the Jewish people under the Mosaic covenant. We don't have, a, we don't have time to read through all of this, but what I want you to do is in Leviticus chapter 1, I want you to just look at the headings as we turn through this. See above chapter 1, the burnt offering. Does everybody see that? Burnt offering or sacrifice. Chapter 2, the grain offering. Chapter 3, the fellowship offering. Chapter 4, the sin offering. And then the sin offering goes all the way into chapter 5. And if you're using an NIV sort of midway through chapter 5, right before verse 14, you see the guilt offering. Does everybody see those? Now, if you kept looking in chapter 6 and 7, you just see them repeated, burnt, grain, sin, guilt, fellowship. So what we have in the first five chapters are what looks like five sacrifices that the children of Israel could make to the Lord. However, upon closer examination, we find that these five sacrifices actually fall into our two categories. The burnt, the grain, and the fellowship are all thanksgiving offerings. The burnt, the grain, and the fellowship are all thanksgiving offerings. And if you read through those chapters of Leviticus, you'll find that God says, look, if there's some time that you just want to tell God thank you, if there's some time when you just feel overwhelmed with God's goodness, if there's some way in which you just want to express your love for God, you can give him a burnt offering a fellowship offering, or a grain offering. That's the reason for giving those offerings. The sin and the guilt offering fall into the other category. Those are given because of sin. If you've done something wrong, if you've sinned unintentionally, if your relationship with God is broken, there is a sin offering and there is a guilt offering, and those two go together. So again... We see the same two categories that we saw at the very beginning of the Bible. We have sin offerings and we have thanksgiving offerings. Now what the book of Leviticus helps us see is that each of those two groups of offerings or sacrifices has a different purpose. If you look, for example, back in chapter 1, we'll just start with the burnt offering. Verse 9, the last sentence, it is a burnt offering, 
a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Verse 13, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Verse 17, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. That phrase, pleasing to the Lord, or an aroma pleasing to the Lord, appears ten times in connection with these first three sacrifices. Conversely, it only appears one time with the sin or guilt offering. The purpose of the thanksgiving offering was to give to God something that would please Him. This was a way you expressed love to God. This is God's love language. The purpose of giving a thanksgiving offering was you wanted to do something that would be pleasing to God. If you turn over to chapter 4, we'll see that a different phrase is present. Verse 26, for example, in this way the priest will make atonement for the leader's sins and he will be forgiven. Verse 31, in this way the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. Verse 35, in this way the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. Interestingly, in these last two sacrifices, the sin and the guilt, the phrase make atonement appears ten times, whereas it only appeared one time with the first three. And the idea here is Leviticus is giving us the purposes for these two different sacrifices. The purpose of the thanksgiving sacrifice is to be pleasing to the Lord. The purpose of the sin and the guilt sacrifice are to make atonement, to make amends, to restore the relationship. So to summarize so far, the essence of sacrifice in the Bible is that it is something that is costly. The greater the cost, the greater the expression of love. There are two major categories of sacrifice in the Bible, sin sacrifices and those of thanksgiving. The purpose of the sin sacrifices are to make amends, to restore the relationship, and the purpose of the thanksgiving offerings are to do something pleasing to the Lord. Now this is true not only in our relationship with God, there can be different purposes that we do things in our human relationships. If you have a friend that you have quarreled with, one of the things that you can do if you sinned against that person is you can buy them a present. The purpose of buying that, that present is to try to say to them, look, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I want to try to make things right. You can also, simply because you have a friend and you want to express how much that friend means to you, you can simply buy them a present not because there's been anything done wrong in the relationship. You just simply want to express to that friend how much they mean to you. The same is true in our relationship with God. We can give there are sacrifices associated with sin and there are sacrifices associated with being thankful. Everybody with me? Now we turn over to the book of Romans. 
This is all the backdrop to try to understand what's going on in the book of Romans. Interestingly, the word sacrifice appears, guess how many times in the book of Romans? Fifteen. Two. The first time is in Romans chapter 3. You might remember when we looked at this passage earlier. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a what? Sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. When you hear that word atonement, what kind of sacrifice is this? It's a sin sacrifice. This is a sacrifice that is being offered in connection with sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the amazing thing that we saw in the beginning of the first half of the book of Romans, even though it was you and I who sinned against God, It's God who took the initiative to make the sacrifice to restore the relationship, just like in the book of Genesis. It's God who sacrifices so that because of what Adam and Eve did, he could still have fellowship with them. What we find out in Romans 3 is, in order to restore the relationship between us and God, it's God who makes the sacrifice, and Jesus is the sacrifice of atonement. He restores our relationship with God. But remember what we said about sacrifice. The greater the cost, the greater the expression of love. Sometimes we say, well, why didn't God just wave his hand and make all the sin go away? because God would not give us something that did not cost him. This is what God does. He gives his son. And if you think about the cost of the sacrifice that the Father and the Son have made for us, that Jesus has become a human for all of eternity, you understand this, we've talked about this before. Jesus has become a human forever and ever and ever. He will never stop being a human. He will always be a Jewish carpenter from Galilee who died on a cross. And even though he is Lord of the whole universe, he will remain human for all of eternity. This is what God the Son chose to do. This is what God the Father chose to offer as a sacrifice. And Jesus, through the cross, literally endured hell, more suffering than you and I will ever be able to fathom. He experienced the full wrath of God for every single sin that had ever been committed. Can you imagine what God the Father must have felt like to offer his son to do this and to pour out all of his anger and wrath on this, his most beloved son? And for Jesus to endure that? The cost of the sacrifice is infinite, which means that God's love for us is infinite. 
That's why Paul says, if God did not spare his own son, how, how will he not freely through Jesus give you all things? Look, how could you and I ever doubt God's love for you? The cost of the sacrifice indicates the depth of the love, and God demonstrated his love for you and for me while we were still sinners. God chose to pay the ultimate price. He did not give something that cost him nothing. He gave the most precious thing he had, his son. And Jesus gave the most precious thing that he could offer, his life. So that you and I might be right with God. And the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is about that sacrifice. It's about the sin sacrifice that God makes so that we can be right with him. So that there can be no doubt the God of the universe, despite the fact that we are sinners, loves us infinitely and totally and completely. And if he was willing, while we were his enemies, to pay this infinitely costly price for us, there is no way he will ever stop loving us. The second time you get the word sacrifice in the book of Romans, is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We looked at it earlier. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What kind of sacrifice is this? It's a thanksgiving sacrifice in view of God's mercies because of all that God's done for you. Not because you're a sinner, not because you and I messed up, not because we had walked away from the Lord. In view of all God has done for us, in view of the incredible infinite price that God paid to redeem you and I, in view of this, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and what? Pleasing. Where did we hear the word pleasing before? In Leviticus, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a fellowship offering. You give a thanksgiving offering not because you're trying to make amends for sin. That's what a sin offering does. You give a thanksgiving offering. Because you're overwhelmed with gratitude for what God has done. This is how we express our love back to God. The first 11 chapters are God telling us in no uncertain terms just how much he loves us. And Paul knows that if we're going to have a relationship with God, we need to have some way to say thank you back to him. We need to have some way to express our love to him. We weren't born naturally loving God, but after God has given his son for us, he has won us to himself. And Paul says, if you want to show your love back to God, here's his love language. Sacrifice. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. This doesn't fix our relationship with God. That's what Jesus does. This doesn't make us right with God. That's what Jesus does. 
This doesn't deal with our sin. That's what Jesus does. But this lets us say back to God and back to Jesus. Thank you. When you look at Jesus, who will have those nail prints in his hands for all of eternity, who will be a human forever and ever, who suffered for every one of your sins. Now, you and I sometimes have suffered for our sins. We've experienced some discipline. We've experienced some trouble. Can you imagine Jesus suffering for all the sins of all the humans of all the world for all time for you and I? When you see what he did for us on the cross and what the Father had to do, in turning his back on Jesus and rejecting his own son, there's going to come a time when you and I want to say thank you, when we want to express to God that we love him. And Paul says, you want to know how to do that? Offer yourselves back to God as a living sacrifice. Now what does that mean? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some different ways that you and I can offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. I mean, in fact, the rest of Romans is actually describing how to do that. But for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some other pictures throughout the Scriptures that give some substance and some clarity to what it looks like to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. But what we need to know this morning the problem in all of human history, according to Romans 1, we said, although the whole world knows God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. Pride and ingratitude are the essence of the problem that humanity has. And God is saying, after all that I have done for you, you now have a chance to say that you're thank you. Say thank you back to God. And what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, what we're going to talk about through Romans 12 and following, this does not make us right with God. This does not make up for our sins. This does not make us good people in God's eyes. Jesus has already accomplished all of that. What Romans 12 and following does is give us an opportunity to say thank you back to God and to do something for God that is pleasing to him. And so as God gives us the opportunity to offer back to him, now listen, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> Remember, the depth of the sacrifice indicates the depth of our love for God. God has given everything for us. We have the opportunity to say thank you by giving back to God, not something that costs us nothing, but giving back to God something that costs us everything. But know this. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Who has ever given to God a sacrifice that somehow puts God in their debt? We have the opportunity to give back to a God who loves us infinitely and completely, and who, when he is pleased with us, showers us with his grace and his blessings and his peace and his joy. This is what we're going to be talking about through the rest of the book of Romans. 
today, we have the opportunity to be grateful.